Well, good morning. Good to see you in Facebook world. So glad you could join us this morning. We're going to have a wonderful time in God's Word today. Hey, just a reminder, if you uh, can help out with Operation Christmas Child, that'd be a blessing. Uh, We'll be collecting those boxes today. If you need someone to come pick them up, let us know. Or you can fill one out on the the website there as well, Operation Christmas Child. Hey, let's just jump into the Word of the Lord today if we can. I just want to uh, have some time here just to minister to you. Last week, we started a little series called Good News for a World in Crisis. How many know we need some good news in this hour that we live in? That's for sure. Last week, we unpacked the subject, uh, the fear of the Lord, and how really the power of the fear of the Lord can transform not just a life, but even a country, a nation, a world. And so we just kind of unpacked that. It was a great time. I encourage you to go back and check that out if you didn't have a chance to join us. But fear of the Lord, not a, not a scared of God type of thing, but a fear of the Lord just basically uh, being terrified to not have his presence in our life. We do need the fear of the Lord. But today we want to move on from that. And uh, we want to talk about uh, something I think is going to be a blessing to you. Uh, before we do, let me just... Uh, share a little story. Years ago, um, I was at a lake with my family, and we were having a little vacation time. And, and uh, my my uh, my daughter was in the boat. We were out in this lake, and and uh, the rest of us were out in the water with our flotation devices. And my daughter, young little old, my oldest daughter, she's about uh, four years old, maybe at three. I don't know, but young. And she had her little flotation device on. She was on the bow of the boat, and I said, "Hey, Hannah, jump." jump, jump to daddy. And I was in the water. She's looking down. Of course, at that age, it probably looks like, you know, a hundred feet. But I said, come on, jump, jump. And uh, man, you could tell she wanted to jump so bad, but she kept holding back. And 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 and, and she, she just couldn't seem to get the nerve to jump into the water, even though she loved me, even though she, she thought good of her dad, there was something in her that couldn't do it. What was it? Well, I would challenge you and say it was perhaps the, her ability to trust me to the level that required her to jump. I think sometimes in life, don't you think, that we, we, we are come to these situations where God's almost like challenging our level of trust. I want to talk about that this morning. Do we trust God in all things? At some point in our lives, we have to trust God. We really do. Uh, and this morning, I have some good news for you. You can trust God. You can trust God for everything. You can trust God for little things. You can trust God for big things. And you can trust God. You know, it's interesting in our, our country as well. Uh, we have this uh, formation um, at the very foundation of our country uh, to, to believe in God. It was first used, the, frames, the phrase, in God we trust, was used by Francis Scott Key, what was later be called the Star-Spangled Banner in 1814. In that, one of those stanzas, he uses the words, in God we trust. And then during the Civil War times, there became this really awakening in our country and this um, 
this this understanding and enlightenment, I guess, upon the people of our land that somehow we need to bring God at the forefront of our nation. And so this talk began to take place. And and um, the Secretary of State, Sam and Chase, uh, Secretary of Treasury at that time during the Civil War, received a letter from a reverend uh, pastor up in Pennsylvania. And the pastor wrote to him and said, listen, you know, we, we really... We really need to do something to bring awareness uh, in our country that we, we have a God and we can trust him. And, uh, and so it really put into motion some thoughts into the Secretary of Treasury's mind. And, and so he began to play around with these different phrases, in God we trust, trust in God, things like that. And finally came to that very phrase, in God we trust. And he ordered in 1864 that uh, on the two cent little penny that they were about to uh, mint, that those words, in God we trust, would be placed. And then that was on that coin for that point on. And then in 1955, General Eisenhower, during the Cold War, really began as well to realize the importance of having God in the center of our nation. And so he made a, a, a law, an order, that from that point on, in 1955, all of our currency would have the words, in God we trust. And I appreciate that. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing about our country. In God we trust. Uh, there's some scriptures that back up that. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. How many know that's true? Psalms 118. Psalms 40. He put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God. And many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Proverbs 29, 15, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. So today I want you to know that you can trust in God and your trust in God will either make you or it will, what? Break you. Your trust in God will make you or it will break you. This morning I want to talk about a character in the Old Testament by the name of Saul. He was the first king of Israel. And I want to just kind of give you the backstory of this guy for just a moment. He was obviously living in Israel, and Israel wanted a king. Very desperate. They wanted to be like everybody else in the world. We want a king. We want a king. We're like the only country that doesn't have a king. We're like ruled by God. We want a king. Samuel's the prophet. It's like, we, you don't need a king. You just need God. We want a king. So, so God said, all right, I, I will point, I'll pick out a man, and you, I'll give you this man as a king. And so, as it played out, this guy by the name of Saul was um, sent out by his father. He's from the tribe of Benjamin to look for his father's donkeys. They had somehow broken out of the pasture and had gone wandering off. And so, he went out looking for these donkeys. And he was gone a long, long, long time. Finally, he said, Saul said to his, um, his, his guy, he said, hey, look, we just need to forget the donkeys and go back. Our, di- our dad's going to be more worried about us than the donkeys at this point. And his friend said, well, why don't, before we go back, in the next town up, there's a prophet by the name of Samuel. Let's go to the prophet and see maybe he knows where our donkeys are. He's like, well, let's go to a prophet. That seems like a little bizarre. But the guy pressed him. He goes, okay, let's do it. So they went to this prophet. His name was Samuel. Samuel was the prophet at that time. And the Lord had spoke to Samuel that day before, that the next day, that day, there would be a man show up, and that would be the future king of Israel. 
So Saul shows up at Samuel's house. Samuel says, well, here, I, I can tell you where the donkeys are. The Lord showed me, and, they're, and he showed him, told him where they were gonna, he could find them. And he says, but here, something else I just want to share with you. You're going to be the, next, you're the first king of Israel. Saul was like, what? Yeah, you're going to be the first king of Israel. God spoke to that to me uh, yesterday, and I'm supposed to anoint you with oil, and the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you. And so that, so Samuel anointed him, and he said, you, we'll see how this plays out. And, and uh, so Saul goes home, and, and uh, his uncle asked him, well, how, you know, how'd you find the donkeys? Well, we, the, the, the prophet told us. And uh, he said, well, what else did the prophet say? And he didn't even, Saul wouldn't even tell him what the prophet said. He was very humble. Saul was a very humble, humble man. And uh, as it played out, finally Samuel called all the nation to Israel together and said, we're going we're gonna to give you your king. You've asked for a king, been wanting a king, so here's your king. And uh, so he looked at him and said, Saul, uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, would you come? Come, come, Saul. And they looked around, and no one could find Saul. He was, he was nowhere to be found. Samuel, Saul, come to the front. We're going to anoint you and crown you as king. And uh, finally, someone yells out, hey, he's over here. He's over here. And, and he was hiding behind the luggage. The, this man, Saul, the, the, their first king, is hiding in the, in the luggage, trying not to be seen. I mean, he did not want this. This is not what he had planned. And they brought him up. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Very handsome man. Who wouldn't want this man to be their king? Humble as all get out. They anointed him as king, and the Bible says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Basically, his personality even began to change. It wasn't long after that that Jabesh Gilead, which was a town in Israel, was attacked by the Ammonites. And so um, no one would do anything about it. So Saul rises up, and man, was just this fierceness. This, he was transformed from this very humble man, quiet, meek man, to this man of courage and fierceness and a sense of justice. And he called the nation of Israel to come and gather together and fight this army. Uh, that had come and was attacking one of their um, cities. And 330,000 people showed up. Can you believe that? And they answered the call and they vanquished the enemy. It wasn't long after that, a series of other great victories saw wiped out the Moabites from the land and, and other countries, even including the Philistines to some degree. And that was Saul's great start. He started, he was anointed, he was, he was used by God. Who wouldn't want this man to be their king? But tragically, this man fell into rebellion. Tragically, this man would shortly lose his anointing. He would lose the favor that God had given him. He would no longer be able to hear the Spirit's voice. Tragically, he would even become possessed, if you would, by a demon. He would order the death of good priests. And the night even of the before he died, the last night of his life, he was found having um, a meeting with a witch of, that, uh, of the nation and trying to get her discernment about what he should do. He died a raging madman. And the question is, how could a man that started off so good, humble, 
I'm not looking to be anything uh, where people would look at him as something special. Just a humble man being used by God, being a tool in the hand of the Lord. How could a man like that with humble beginnings end up being possessed and tormented by demons and everything fall apart? What was the pivotal moment? What was the turning point, if you would, of his life? What would cause him to go this way and then all of a sudden go this way? Because there was something that happened. And I want to talk about that this morning because I believe what Saul faced, the situation and the circumstances that he faced, is something that we all face, is something that you face, something that I face in our lives. And these are some important lessons that we need to learn. And here was what happened. He came to a crisis, and the crisis was, do I, do I wait in God? Do I wait in faith? Do I believe God for what he wants to do in my life and in the future around me? Or do I take matters into my own hand? That became his final regrettable moment. What about you? When you are in crisis, when things are going on in your life um, that are overwhelming, how do you respond? Because this is huge. This is very huge. Let me give you the backstory. Excuse me. Let me give you the backstory really quick. The Philistines had amassed this huge army. And they, they said, you know, we're done with this guy, Saul. He's an upstart. They said they got a new king. We're going to vanquish it. We're going to do away with this. This is, this is it. And they gathered together their, their army. I mean, an army, unbelievable army. They gathered 6,000 horsemen, 30,000 iron chariots. The, the Bible says that as far as the eye could see, there was nothing but a Philistine armies. The Israelites came together, 330,000. But the only swords that Israel had was in the hands of Saul and his son Jonathan. Everyone else, for weapons, they had shovels, picks, you know, wooden spears. They, it was, it was pitiful. It was pathetic what uh, they had. They, they didn't have the iron access that the Philistines had developed at that time. And so when they looked out and saw chairs, you can imagine you're standing here with a, a you know, a pitchfork or a, you know, a BB gun, and you see these tanks rolling across the, the horizon. And fear struck their heart. People started going AWOL, left and right, left and right, left and, every day. Now, prior to them gathering together, Samuel, the prophet, had said to Saul, he said, now listen, when you get together, you wait seven days, I'm going to be there. And, and, I, and, and I'll come and I'll make a sacrifice and we'll pray and we'll seek the Lord for his guidance and favor upon this battle. And in, in those days, and it became a custom that Israel never did anything without first seeking the Lord's face. And so Samuel said, I'll be there in seven days. Just give me seven days, I'll be there. Don't do a thing, just wait for me. Well, Saul gathered, all the men were there, but every day they were leaving, leaving, leaving. They were leaving by the, can you imagine his briefing every morning in Saul's tent? Uh, this morning, sir, sir, we had 330,000 yesterday. Uh, they looked out and saw what was coming, and we have now 250,000. The next day, uh, we're down to 225,000. The next day, we're down to 200,000, Saul. The fourth day, uh, Saul, they're going, they're leaving left and right. We're down to 150,000. By the time, the, on, the, on the morning of the seventh day, they were down to 600 men. They, people, 
Soldiers were hiding in caves. They were actually leaving, going AWOL to other countries. They knew they were about to be wiped up. They were going to be massacred. And so all, all Saul, the king, had was 600 men. And the problem was Samuel the prophet hadn't come yet. He still was nowhere to be found. Where is the prophet? Where? Uh, look, everything is falling apart. Everything is happening that's wrong. How am I supposed to fight an army? I have nobody to fight with. We have the tools to fight with. And and we don't even know if God's with us. We don't even know where God's at. And the prophet is nowhere to be found. And somewhere on probably the eve of the seventh day, Saul took matters in his own hands. And here was his mistake. Let me pick it up here. And I won't just read that, that text to you. He decided he'd waited long enough. And this decision would end up costing him his life. Saul offered up the burnt offering because he's tired of waiting for Samuel. And just as he finished making the offering, guess what happens? Mm -hmm. Samuel arrives, the prophet. God shows up on the scene. And Saul went out to greet him, acting like nothing had happened. And Samuel asks, what have you done? And Saul said, Look, Samuel, look, look. I saw the men were scattering and you did not come at the set time. The Philistines have been assembling at Michmash and I thought they're about to attack any time and come down against me here at Gilgal. I don't have, I have not sought the favor of God. So so I felt compelled that I, I should offer the Lord burnt offerings. And, and, and so, you know, I just, I felt I needed to do something. And Samuel says to him, you have done a foolish thing. Another version in Hebrew says, you have, you have played the part of a fool. Another version says, you have been wicked. What you have done is wicked. What? That's what he says. You have not kept the command the Lord God gave you, and if you would have, he would have established your kingdom of Israel over for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. In fact, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. What was Saul's mistake? What what was the deal? Well, he panicked. Have you ever panicked in your life? Have you ever just... Just, just I, I've got to do something. Just reached out there and just grabbed a straw. Just anything. I, I'm panicked. I, I'm overwhelmed. I, this matter is too big for me. It's a, I, I, I'm, I'm getting taken over. I'm just drowning here. And, and, and let me tell you this. This is not an excuse to be passive. I'm not saying that we were passive in life and we, we never do anything. But, but, but this was different. God had given Saul a mandate. God had told him exactly what he wanted him to do. And, 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 and he said, all I want you to do is I want you to wait. Wait. And God knew that this was going to fly out of control. He knew that people were going to um, leave him left and right. God knew that he was going to be whittled down to just a handful of men with hardly any weapons. God knew all this ahead of time. And God knows exactly everything going on in our world and in our country and in your world and in your family, in your life. And he says to you, do not be overwhelmed, but wait on the Lord. 
Wait on the Lord. It's the challenge that all of us have to face. Isn't it easy to trust in God when everything's going your way, right? But to trust in God when you're being overwhelmed, that's a whole nother story. This moment here, let's look at it from God's perspective. From God's perspective, this moment wasn't about the odds being stacked against you. It wasn't about people that have left you or the lack of support that you feel that you don't have from people that are supposed to be supporting you. It's not even about this lack of direction that you don't seem to have or this lack of sense of favor from God in this moment that you don't feel like you have. It's not even about your stress level or your anxiety or even going beyond that. It's not even about your business acumen and your business savvy and your ability to make money in the past and your ability to overcome in the past all the things you've done in the past or your communication skills or your bank account or your contacts. It's bigger than this. From God's perspective, it's about Him, God, getting glory in your life in all situations. Come on. That's what God was wanting. He was, God was wanting to have the odds so stacked against Samuel, or excuse me, Saul, that when God showed up on the scene, everybody would have to say, only God could have done this. See, that's what, that's what happens when you trust in the Lord. God comes in, fights the battle for you, and then ultimately, He gets the glory. Uh, he gets the glory. The Bible says the battle is the Lord's. Saul had forgotten that very important thought and truth. My friend, the battle is not yours, and the battle is not mine. The battle that we face and you face, we face globally, we face nationally, we face in our own lives, is never yours. It's always the Lord's. The battle is always the Lord's. It's about not budging. It's about not, not, not giving up and giving in to my anxieties, my stress, my fears. But it's about trusting in the Lord. God knows things are getting worse. God knows things are pressing against you. God knows, you know, there's a hurricane, there's a pandemic, there's racial unrest. God knows everything. But God, it's not about that. It's about me not panicking and me trusting in my God because the battle is always the Lord's. Isn't that good news? So let's, let me read you a couple of scriptures. All you who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is your helper and shield, Psalms 115. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, you know this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. I love what Job said in chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, talking about God, yet <laughs> will I, what? Trust him. Why? Because I will not maintain my own ways before him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust in the Lord. You know what trusting is? Trusting many times is just waiting. Waiting. Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah chapter 40. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint or not grow tired. You know what that word wait means? It means literally to look with eager expectation. 
we can wait. Saul's mistake was he was not waiting. He was not trusting. He was not sitting there looking with eager expectation for God to show up supernaturally in this situation. You see, if everything's just natural, then you know what? You got every reason to panic. But when you take the supernatural and put it into the situation, when you take the impossible and put it into the situation that becomes possible, suddenly everything changes. And suddenly the battle becomes the Lord's and God gets all the glory. Mm. And as a result... Saul faced consequences. God realized at that time. He realized that he could never, that Saul would never trust him to the degree that he needed to trust him. This was his ultimate test. And so that's why God removed his, him from that position at that moment. It took some time for God to raise up David, who would become the next king. But, but, but from that moment on, Saul's Saul's kingdom, his ministry, his influence went downhill until he eventually died, as I mentioned, a raging man. I'm telling you that your, your opportunity to wait on God has consequences. And my challenge to you is to wait on the Lord, to trust in the Lord, even in this time that you're in, whatever it is you need to trust him for. As a result of Saul not trusting God, three things happened to him. Number one, he became very legalistic. That's what happens when you stop trusting God. You, become, you don't have enough faith and trust in his righteousness to become your righteousness, so you start making up your own rules of righteousness. and You become very legalistic, and a lot of people don't want to be around you because you're very legalistic. The second thing that happened to Saul is that he lost his spiritual discernment. He just, he just suddenly everything became right to him that he thought was right. I mean, he, he let King Agag live. He, he, let, um, he, 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 he kept some of the cattle. God told him to, to wipe out everything. And he kept the King Agag. He get, kept some of the cattle. He kept some of the clothing. It just seemed right to him. You know, when you, when, you loot, when, you, when you stop trusting and waiting on the Lord, what happens is you lose your spiritual direction, your, your gyroscope. It just kind of gets all messed up and everything seems to be right to you and it's right and it's not right. You lose your spiritual discernment. And the last thing that happened to Saul, which really ultimately destroyed him, was he became a very jealous man. Jealousy is a spirit, my friend. It was, it, it was a, it, he, he didn't trust God. Let me tell you something. Anybody that you meet that can't trust in God will not trust others either. And this is what Saul's dilemma was. Because he couldn't trust God, he now no longer trust others. He would end up wiping out, killing innocent priests who had done nothing wrong, good men. He just went crazy because he was overtaken with jealousy. Waiting on the Lord, waiting on Him, trusting in Him when everything is falling apart and, or when everything is good as well is the key to continuing, growing, and becoming mature in the Lord and being used by God in mighty ways. So my encouragement to you today, I, I encourage, my encouragement, my challenge is you, my friend, will wait on the Lord, that you will trust in your God. And you allow your God, your Father, your 
king, your lord, your everything, to fight your battles for you, to come in, and in his timing, I promise you, it will happen. Just give him some time. Because when it's all over, he wants to make sure he gets all the glory. I want to thank you for watching with us today. If you are a person watching with us today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, can I just challenge you today to give your heart to Jesus. Turn your life over to him. Quit trying to work things out in your own way. Let God work them out for you. He's your friend. He is your God. He wants to be your Lord, as Saul found out. For everyone else watching this morning, maybe there's an area in your life where You've really been at a hard time lately just trusting in God. It's really been challenging for you just to wait on Him in some areas. Maybe that could look like finances. Maybe it looks with relationships with your spouse or a child. Maybe your marriage has been falling apart. It's on the rocks and you're just having a hard time trusting God to put it together. Maybe it's a job that's gone south or a fear of losing your job. Man, you just, this trusting in the Lord has really been hard for you lately. I can't tell you. Even maybe it's a political thing going on around. You're like, I don't know if I can trust God. Where, where's God and all this? We can trust in our God. He is big and bigger than everything else going on around you. So today I want to pray for you. Would you mind bowing your heads and let me pray for you? Heavenly Father, today, thank you that you are a God that we can trust. And Lord, teach us and remind us of this lesson today that unfortunately Saul never seemed to understand. That Lord, when everything is falling apart around us, Nothing seems to make sense that you are still on the throne and you will be sure to get all the glory. So we look to you today and we turn over all the things, the situations in our life that seem to be, Lord, literally consuming even some of our thoughts. And we turn them over to you and we say, Lord, you are in control. We will wait on you for the battle is the Lord's, not ours. We love you, and we thank you for taking these matters into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. Take care. Remind you, uh, next Sunday, uh, we're going to be having a night of worship at the church. Of course, remember, we're meeting at the um, big red metal barn-looking building on uh, Foley Beach Express, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Love to have you join us. And especially next Sunday night, we're going to have a night of worship, a great way to enter into the week of Thanksgiving by giving God some thanks. We love you. God bless you. Have a great day.